2: Children of the Night, and welcome. Well, hard to believe it's that time again already, but I'd like to give you an early heads-up that, as of April 1st, Tales to Terrify will once again be open for submissions. I'll, of course, share more details later in the month, but if you've got any disturbing masterpieces tucked away in hidden cupboards or collecting cobwebs in forgotten drawers, now may be the perfect time to dust them off and freshen them up. If you need a refresher, TalesToTerrify.com submissions has all the details you need to know. This week I'd like to extend a huge thank you to our newest patrons, Amy Smith and Marius DeComitis. Your incredible generosity puts a spark of warmth in our cold hearts. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify if you'd like to join this esteemed company of exceptional individuals that make our show possible. We have a longer tale for you this evening, so our travels this week will be brief. We're making our first stop in the province of Ontario, skipping down toward the American border to Niagara Falls. The falls are one of the most famous natural attractions in North America. If you've never seen them in person, to say they're impressive is… well, it's an understatement. They're an incredible showcase of the sheer raw power of nature. Over 3,000 tons of water pours over the precipice every second. And as with any natural attraction, especially one that's claimed lives like Niagara Falls, there are no lack of urban legends that surround it. One involves a series of stone lions on the columns along either side of a bridge, statues that no longer exist on said columns, and despite being vividly remembered by many, there's actually no evidence that they ever existed. Another urban legend from Niagara involves huge wild cats that are said to stalk the area. Dark and menacing, but even for the most stalwart of conservation officers, mysteriously hard to locate. The city of Niagara Falls is also considered by some to be one of the most haunted places on the planet. There seems to be an unusually high rate of hauntings reported, especially in older houses around town. Strange footsteps from empty hallways, disembodied voices, objects moving on their own, and things generally going bump in the night seem to be almost the norm, more than the exception. Which may, some people speculate, be a result of the many lives lost and incredible quantity of blood spilled in the area during the War of 1812. The one legend from Niagara Falls, though, that really stood out to me as being right up our alley, doesn't have anything to do with the falls themselves, but instead a tunnel that runs below the Grand Trunk Railway. It's not a long tunnel, not terribly imposing physically. It was originally created in the 1900s as a way for floodwaters to pass under the tracks Without washing them out. But soon after it was built, local farmers found it offered a convenient way to pass by the tracks without having to cross over them and risk running afoul of an oncoming train. 125 feet of limestone bricks line the arched corridor, covered in lichen and moss, giving it an eerie, gothic appearance that's only heightened under the light of the moon. And you have to know, if we're going to visit a destination like this, it's got to be after the sun's gone down. For the full effect, let's say midnight, on a calm, windless night. Approaching the tunnel, its dark maw feels hungry, almost predatory. And even though it's a straight shot through, You can see right from one side to the other. It feels far from empty. And darker than it should, with the bright moonlight casting its blue glow from a clear sky. Without any wind, it shouldn't be hard to light a match. You did bring the matches, right? Good. Let's walk a ways in first, though. A few meters should do it. Beyond the crescent shadow of the tunnel mouth into proper darkness. Okay, now strike the match on the wall and hold it steady. It doesn't flicker, see? Barely dances in the dead stillness of the tunnel. And of course that's when it goes out. Not blown out so much as sucked back into the sulfur and wood from where it came and then the sound begins to rise up in the tunnel, high and shrill, growing in intensity, raising the hairs on your neck, sending icy tendrils racing down your spine. It's a scream of pure agony and terror, one that threatens to freeze your heartbeat in your chest. The cool dampness of the tunnel Suddenly turns to pure ice, and the thought of staying another moment in the tunnel, surrounded by the intense, echoing shriek of a young woman in mortal pain, it becomes almost unbearable. It's time to get the hell out of here. There are several versions of the story surrounding the screaming tunnel. And while the method of conjuring the spirit is the same in each, a match lit under the darkness of night, the origin becomes darker the more modern the version. The original story involves a nearby farmhouse that caught fire in the middle of the night. It was quickly engulfed in flames, but one member of the family escaped the raging blaze, the young daughter. She ran, screaming from the home, her hair and clothes dancing with deadly flames. Seeking help from the nearest source, a farm on the other side of the railway tracks, the severely burned girl ran for the tunnel. She entered, but never made it out
3: the far side. Halfway through, she collapsed and died from her injuries.
2: Another, even grislier version, says the girl's father went mad with rage and dragged her into the tunnel, where he then set her on fire and watched that she burned alive. And if that one wasn't bad enough, a third version says the girl was abused and murdered. Then her body was burned in the tunnel to cover up the evidence. Regardless of the backstory, though, the girl's spirit has plenty of reason to haunt the tunnel. And her lingering fear of fire? Well, that seems like a pretty justifiable reason for her deathly scream at the strike of a match. We have another longer story for you this week. This one comes courtesy of Philip Prakossi. Philip Fricassi is the author of the award-winning story collection Behold the Void, which won Best Collection of the Year from both This Is Horror and Strange Aeons magazine. His upcoming collection, Beneath a Pale Sky, will be published in summer 2021 by Lethe Press. His stories have been published in numerous magazines and anthologies, including Best Horror of the Year, Nightmare Magazine, Black Static, Dark Discoveries, Cemetery Dance, and others. Philip's work has been translated into multiple languages. His books have been favorably reviewed in publications such as the New York Times, Locus Magazine, and Rue Morgue. The New York Times called his work terrifically scary. As a screenwriter, his feature films have been distributed by Disney Entertainment, and Lifetime Television. He currently has several stories under option for film and TV adaptation. For more information on his books and screenplays, visit his website at pfricasi.com. He also has active profiles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Children of the Night, join me. For Philip Fricassi's, I think my treehouse is haunted. A Tales to Terrify original.
4: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
0: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
1: Part 1. The Treehouse Yeah, I'm pretty sure my treehouse is haunted. My mom and I moved to this new house a few months ago. We used to live in the city, a small apartment on the 12th floor of a building downtown. We'd lived there my whole life, and I loved it. I had a lot of friends in the building, and taking the city bus to school was always interesting. I didn't like to take it alone, but that only happened a few times, when my friends were out of town sick or, for whatever reason, got to school a different way that day. Strangers were funny when you had someone to watch them with. They were a lot less funny when you were by yourself. It could be downright scary. When my dad was killed in the accident, my mom decided we'd move to a house in the suburbs. Mom worked from home and dad didn't work downtown anymore, obviously. So she said that we'd use the insurance money to buy a house where it was quiet and less dangerous. So I'd be starting junior high at a new school, which sucked, but I wasn't going to be a jerk about it. My mom had been through a lot, and all my friends and I could still hang online, which is what we mostly did anyway, even when we lived in the same building. I have to admit, so far the house hasn't been all terrible. It's pretty nice, much bigger than our apartment, and having a yard is pretty cool. I hadn't thought about it before, but now that we live in a house and have a backyard and a fence, I wonder if we can get a dog. Note, possible birthday present? The best thing about the new house, at least at first, was the awesome treehouse in the backyard. First of all, it's big, like four closets put together if you took out all the walls. There's a rope ladder that goes up through the floor that you can pull up once you're inside and keeps other people from invading. It also smells nice, like wood and leaves. There are a couple of cutout windows, one that looks into the neighbor's yard, and one that looks back at our house. If I look through the one facing the house, I can see my bedroom window. I can even see my bed, which is neat, like spying on myself. There's no light in the treehouse, but Mom bought me an electric lantern that I kept up there in case I wanted to go up at night, which I thought would be kind of cool. I thought maybe I could even spend the night out there. But yeah, that's not going to happen. And that's why I'm writing this. I want to see if maybe other people have had similar experiences as me. Also, I want to write about it because there's no other way I can talk about what's going on. I tried to tell Mom, but of course she thought I was being dumb, and then she started looking at me funny, like I was nuts. No help there. I tried to bring it up with my friends, but they just laughed their asses off and teased me. Trying to play Call of Duty while getting called Ghost Boy is not as fun as it sounds. Every time they call me that laughing, I'd think about the little girl. I'd feel sick all over again. Right, the little girl. The first time I saw her, we'd been living here a couple weeks, I guess. Lots of stuff was still in boxes, but for the most part, we'd moved in. My room was almost totally unpacked, except for a couple of boxes with toys and books that I just shoved into my closet. I'd already met a couple of other kids who lived nearby, but we hadn't really become friends yet. I knew when school started, I'd meet more kids, so I wasn't worried. But otherwise, living at the house is pretty much the same as the apartment. We just hang out. Unlike the apartment, though, my mom started telling me to get outside all the time. When we lived downtown, that never happened. And now it's like she's desperate to prove how much better it is living in a house. She'll be like, go outside and play or go ride your bike. She has no idea how ridiculous she sounds when she says stuff like that, as if there's a circus in the driveway or something. So whenever she'd get going on about that get outside thing, I'd usually just head to the treehouse. I'd bring my phone or a book or my Warcraft cards. I had a sleeping bag up there already, and an old couch pillow Mom said was okay to ruin. It was probably my fourth or fifth time going up there. Mom was working in her office, which was still really messy, so I grabbed my stuff and just went out back. I'd already gotten pretty good at climbing the rope ladder, which swings around a bit if you don't balance right. But I had a lot of practice by now. When I
3: pulled myself up this time, though, The treehouse wasn't empty. There was a girl sitting in the corner. Holy shit, was I freaked out.
1: Hey, I said kind of loud and mean because her being there surprised me and not in a good way. I assumed she was a neighbor kid I hadn't met yet, but I was annoyed at her coming into my treehouse without being invited. She didn't answer me and she didn't look at me when I climbed up, not even when I spoke. She just sat there. Her knees tucked under, playing with something I couldn't see. Like she was playing with dolls, but the dolls were fake. Imagined. were invisible. She wore a yellow t-shirt and jeans. The t-shirt said something on it I couldn't read because it was super faded. Her hair was long and dark brown, and it hung over her face while she played with her invisible dolls. I say she was little, and she was. Young, I mean. Maybe... Six or seven? Like a second grader. She was humming something, but it wasn't really a song, more like part of some old rhyme. I tried to think about what it was as it sounded familiar, but I never did come up with it. Hey, I repeated more gently this time. I moved over to my sleeping bag at the other side of the treehouse. Girl, she still didn't look at me or do anything but play with the dolls and hum her weird tune in a way that was becoming more and more creepy. You're not supposed to be in here, I said, not wanting to be a jerk, but more to get her to pay attention to me. Hey, can you hear me? This is my treehouse, okay? You should go home. It was when I said that last word, home, that she finally stopped playing and looked up. She didn't look at me, though,
3: She was glaring at the corner next to me, as if someone else was in the treehouse with us. Just me and Mommy, she said. You and Mommy what? I was now feeling very, very freaked out. back of my
1: neck prickled and my stomach felt queasy. It was seriously weird. It was something about the way she looked into that other corner. The empty corner, like she wasn't answering me, but somebody else, talking to someone I couldn't see. I started to ask another question, but honestly, I couldn't talk. For some reason, I was getting really scared, which didn't make sense because other than the neighbor kids sneaking into my treehouse, there was nothing all that spooky going on. The day was warm and bright. There were no weird shadows or anything. And the girl
3: wasn't really scary. She was just a little kid. Then she spoke again. I don't want to, she said. And then she looked scared. Frankly, she looked terrified. Hey, I yelled, and
1: it was so loud inside the little treehouse that I jumped at my own voice. What's your deal?
3: Who are you talking to? And. Then, it was like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I'll try. Okay, so my
1: dad used to play records all the time. It was sort of a hobby, I guess. My mom sold his collection when we moved. She asked me if I wanted them first, but I didn't. That was his thing, and I figured the record sort of died when he did. Anyway, one time he was playing a record, and I was sitting with him doing homework. And the record started to repeat, like hiccups. The same little bit of music played over and over again. And then after a minute or so, fixed itself and kept going on with the song. Dad cursed. Damn and hell, we're allowed in our house. And when he saw me
3: looking at the record player, he kind of smiled. I think he was embarrassed. And then he said, it just skipped a little, bud. Point being, that's what happened to the little girl. It was like her whole body sort of
1: skipped. One second, she was looking into the empty corner of the treehouse, wide-eyed and frightened, and the next second, she was playing with the dumb invisible dolls again, hair over her face, humming that strange melody, and not paying attention to me at all, like she'd been reset. That was it for me. I crawled to the top of the ladder, which was about halfway between us, and climbed down. I dropped the last few feet and sprinted for the house, not looking back once at the treehouse. I went straight to my mom and told her there's a weird little girl in there. She seemed annoyed with me at first, but something in my expression must have bothered her because she stopped typing on her laptop and followed me into the backyard. She laughed at me when I stopped at the little patio just outside the house. I didn't want to go any further. It was almost funny watching mom climb the ladder, but she did a decent job, actually. I waited to hear her scream, but the scream never came, and she didn't go all the way inside. But I could tell she was looking around, her head and shoulders having gone up through the floor while she hung onto the ladder. When she came back down, she walked over to me kind of quiet. Then she looked at me, not making fun, but serious. It was the look I would come to recognize when I tried to tell her about the other stuff a couple months
3: later. The one she gave me when she thought I was nuts. I hated it. No one up there, pal, she said, and cocked her head a little, like she was studying me.
1: Were you making it up? Like a joke? It's okay if you were, but be honest. I started to shake my head, but then I glanced over her shoulder at the treehouse window.
3: I could just see the top of the little girl's head. I swear, I could even hear her humming. Yeah, I said, not even sure what I was saying. Sorry, just screwing around. I don't think Mom
1: totally believed me, but after looking at me that weird way for another few seconds, she just ruffled my messy and sort of sweaty hair and went back inside. Good one, she said from just inside the house. Since I'm apparently taking a break, why don't we have lunch? Okay, I yelled over my shoulder, my eyes still fixed on the treehouse window, where the little girl was still playing. I took a deep breath, then followed my mom inside. After a while, I calmed down, told
3: myself it wasn't a big deal and to stop being such a baby. Of course, all of this was before things got Really scary. Part two. The bleeding man. Luckily, I didn't see the little girl every time I went in the
1: treehouse. Once school started and I'd made a few friends, a couple of us would hang out there sometimes, but the little girl never appeared then either. Apparently she's shy. The first time I had a friend over, this guy Jim, he saw the treehouse in back and freaked. No way, he said, already jogging toward the ladder. A real treehouse? I tried to persuade him not to go inside begged him, really. But the more I protested, the more he wanted to check it out. You got a secret porn stash in there or something? He asked, whispering too loudly only 20 feet from where my mom was distractedly heating up a couple of burritos. I want to see it. Fine, I told him. I was super nervous, but part of me was a little curious as well. Not that it mattered, because when we
3: climbed up there, it was fine. No little girl. Man, oh man, was I relieved.
1: Still, during those first couple months in the new house, she continued to appear when I was there alone. It happened at least a few times, maybe more. Honestly, after a while, I just kind of forgot about her. I'd just read a book. Or listen to music, and she'd play with her invisible dolls, constantly humming that weird tune. Every now and then, she'd start up with the just-mommy-and-me stuff. But since it seemed triggered by my talking to her, specifically by certain words, home being one of them, I basically didn't say anything, and she'd stay quiet. But even though it was obviously weird, it was also not really a big deal. It was just another new thing I'd have to learn to live with. Lately, it seemed there was a whole bucket load of things I had to learn to live with. But I guess that's part of growing up. After a while, I figured
3: it would be fine that her presence there wouldn't be a problem. But then, just like that, it was a problem.
1: A nasty one. Looking back on it, I realized that the mistake I made, what broke the fragile peace between us, was going up into the treehouse at night. The first time I did that, it had been a hot day in late summer. Fall, I guess, but it felt like summer. I mean, it was crazy hot for being almost October. Mom called it an Indian summer, which I thought sounded racist, but I didn't say anything. And of course, our air conditioning broke, and Mom said the repairmen were busy and it would be a few days until they could come to fix it. So the house was hot, and being outside, maybe even sleeping outside, Seemed like a good idea at the time. So that night, after dinner, I packed up a couple of books, my iPhone, a bag of candy, and a bottle of water. The plan was to sleep in the treehouse, something I'd never done before. The times were desperate. Besides, by that time, I hardly noticed or cared about the little girl. If she was there goofing around, that was fine by me. Once the sun went down, I put my stuff in my backpack, walked across the overgrown grass of the backyard to the big tree, and climbed up the rope ladder. Inside, the treehouse was wonderfully cool and breezy. Since it was nestled within the shady tree all day, it never really heated up like the house did. But it was also dark. There wasn't any moonlight coming through the windows, and I could hardly see my hand in front of my face. I managed to crawl over to my sleeping bag, where the electric lantern was shoved into the corner along with some other stuff. I'd never used it, having avoided the treehouse after dark, but figured the batteries would be just fine. I knelt on the sleeping bag, feeling like a blind man. I dumped my backpack next to me and fumbled around in the corner until I found the lantern. I could already hear the girl humming from the other side of the treehouse. Honestly, in the dark, it was creepy. I started breathing faster, feeling a little panicked as I hurried to find the switch for the stupid lantern thinking if I could at least see her doing her thing, it wouldn't sound quite so... menacing. I finally found the knob on the side of the lantern and twisted it. The light popped on, and the treehouse interior lit up. Sure enough, the little girl was there,
3: hair in her face, playing with those dumb, invisible dolls. Hey, you, I said, wanting to keep it brief. Then I saddled back against the wall. And that's when I saw him. I couldn't move. I mean, I literally could not move. I couldn't even breathe.
1: I was scared shitless, to be honest. In the corner of the treehouse to my left, just a couple feet past the edge of my sleeping bag, was a man. He was sort of sprawled in the corner, his legs loose and bent. One hand was pushed against the floor. The other was holding his stomach like he was sick. He wore dark jeans, heavy boots, and a black leather jacket. The jacket was unzipped and spread open, exposing a gray T-shirt underneath. He was pretty old. I'd guess at least in his 40s, because he was older looking than my mom, and she was 30-something. The T-shirt beneath the hand that covered his stomach was stained and slick with blood. The hand clenching his gut was also wet and red. Like he dipped his fingers
3: into a can of paint. He was bleeding. Badly. His dark hair was long, stringy, and sweaty, plastered to his forehead and cheeks. He had pale, sickly skin and dark eyes. The eyes were fixed on a little girl. Don't be scared. He said. His voice was deep and rumbly, but it was also muffled, like he was speaking through a pillow. Do you live here? Still frozen, my eyes darted to the little girl, who had stopped playing. She was looking up at him. At the corner. Shit, I said. Whispered, really. I was shaking. I just wanted to leave, to turn off the lantern and run
1: back into my house, but I couldn't. I know it sounds weird, but I honestly don't think I could have moved if the whole tree was on fire. It was like my blood was ice. My muscles locked up. I could only watch and listen. The little girl stopped humming and her hands dropped lifeless, supposedly having let go of whatever invisible toys she played with. She stared at the bleeding man and,
3: after a long hesitation, nodded. But her face looked different. She looked scared. I don't think she knew the man. You and your family live here. Is that right?
1: The man spoke slowly and carefully as if he didn't want to spook her into doing
3: anything sudden. You, mom, and dad, you have brothers or sisters? The girl shook her head. Just me and mommy. I looked back at the man in time to see him smile. When I saw that, and I hate to say it, my bladder let go. Urine soaked the crotch of my pants. And then I started to sort of
1: moan. Like whimpering, I guess. I don't know why. There was something so terrible, so off about him. I felt like I shouldn't even be there. Like it was wrong to be sitting with them, seeing this play out. Pissing into my jeans like an infant.
3: I see the man said. He shifted his weight then, brought his legs under him like he was going to crawl. His face got even more white, and he looked for a second like he might puke. Blood dripped off his stomach and onto the treehouse floor. I'd never noticed the small dark stains there. I did now. Come here, sweetheart the man said. The girl shook her head. I could see tears on her face. I don't want to. It's okay, the bleeding man said. It's going to be just fine. And then, faster than I would have thought possible, he scrambled across the floor toward the little girl, like a spider who caught a fly in its web and was moving in to feast. The little girl started to scream, but I screamed first. I yelled as loudly
1: as I could and only then realized I was also crying. I jerkily kicked the lantern and it somehow freed all my muscles, made my blood start pumping again. I dove for the hole in the floor. The lantern was rolling on its side, creating a weird lighting effect inside the treehouse like a wobbly spotlight. I only looked back once
3: before my hands and feet hit the ladder. The man and the girl were joined together. It looked like he was giving her a hug. I climbed down as fast as I could, tripped
1: on the last rung and fell. I got back up and sprinted toward my house, screaming for my mother. I'd never been more scared in my life. Later, after I calmed down, I babbled about the man in the treehouse and repeated my vision of the little girl. Although my mom assured me it was just a nightmare, She still went out to check for herself, ripping a hammer from the toolbox. I watched from the patio as she climbed up into the illuminated box, knowing she'd find nothing there.
3: Because they weren't there, of course. Little girl and the bleeding man. They weren't there because they weren't real. They were something else entirely. I didn't know if I was going crazy or what. All I knew
1: is that I would never, ever go into that treehouse again. Standing on the patio, watching my mother climb the treehouse ladder, a hammer in one hand, I swore it to myself.
3: I promised. Never again. Unfortunately, this is a promise I would break. Part 3. The Sleepover
1: After the incident with the bleeding man, I tried my best to forget about the whole thing. About the girl and the treehouse and what might have happened there. But I couldn't let it go. And after a few days, when the events of that night sort of dimmed and became less frightening to think about, I started to get more and more curious about what exactly had happened to the girl. I asked a few of my neighbor friends, but they all sort of shrugged and said they didn't know and obviously didn't care. But I kept it up, asking whenever I thought it would seem natural and not like I was obsessed with it or something. I even asked a few teachers about it, and the postwoman when she dropped off a package one morning for my mom. But the adults seemed to know even less than the kids, and were a lot more reluctant to chat with me about it. As it turned out, it was my neighbor's mom who finally caved, and told me what happened to the family who lived in our house, before we moved in. Honestly, it wasn't that hard to get her going. Apparently, everybody knew, but nobody liked to discuss it. She said it wasn't polite, that it scared
3: people, which makes sense after you know what happened. Because it's horrible. Okay, so one night, Jamie, who lives three houses down and has sort
1: of become my default best friend in the neighborhood, invited me over for pizza, movie, and a sleepover. My mom seemed pretty excited about the idea of having a night to herself, which didn't bother me in the slightest. If I had to make me dinner and bug me about taking a bath and doing homework and going to bed every day, I'd want a break too. It was awful what happened there, Jamie's mom said while filling our milk glasses. She was sort of the exact opposite of Jamie, who was tall and skinny with black hair and brown eyes. His mom was short and had a big bowl of blonde hair on her head. I found myself staring at her bright pink fingernails while she poured my milk. I'd never even met Jamie's dad. I mean, it's a beautiful home, and you guys will be happy there, no doubt. But geez, the people who lived there before you. She shook her head and pursed her lips, which were bright red. did not end well. I pretended to be enjoying my pizza when, in fact, I was really just doing my best to simply gag it down. My throat felt like it was closing, and my face got kind of hot when she started talking. She's going to tell me. I thought, and the idea of finally knowing was both exhilarating and terrifying. I could feel myself sweating as she talked and hoped she or Jamie didn't notice that I was having an anxiety attack or whatever. I heard a few things, I said, and took a long sip of milk, but wasn't sure if it was real or not. I didn't want to ask Mom about it because I was afraid she'd feel bad. Part of this was a lie. I hadn't heard anything about anything. Obviously, there must be something wrong with the house. Something happened, and I just couldn't contain my curiosity. Seeing a ghost, I've learned, makes a person question all sorts of things. Well, that's considerate, she said and sat down at the table with us, nibbled at the end of her lone slice of cheese pizza. And I don't want you to, you know, speak out of school or anything. I mean, you are sure you want to know this stuff? It might freak you out. Jamie looked at me with wide eyes, and I wondered, which one of us it would freak out more. As for me, I'd seen some insane stuff already. Stories weren't going to make it any worse, but they might explain some things. No, it won't bother me. I don't scare easy. I wasn't sure if this was true or not, but part of me hoped it was. Then, of course, I remembered the bleeding man crawling toward the girl, moving like a giant spider as she started to scream. This spill of warmth in my pants as I pissed myself. Okay she said, well, no need to go into all the gory details, and I'm sure your mother is well aware of the basics, as they probably told her before she bought the place. It's the law or something. I nodded along, not fully knowing what she was talking about and getting the sense that Jamie's mom wasn't, as my dad used to say, the brightest bulb. So first of all, you should know this happened a while ago. That house sat empty, God, for at least three years, which is Crazy in this neighborhood, but it was tied up in legal mumbo-jumbo for a while and then was purchased by a bank and renovated, which is why you have those nice floors and those new appliances. I kept nodding, hoping she'd get back to the stuff I cared about. Jamie was finished with his pizza and was studying his phone, so I had the feeling time was short before he demanded more movie and less dinner conversation with his mom. But someone lived there before us, I said gently, prodding. Oh, yes, honey, of course. And, well, that's the thing. See, the people that lived there. Gosh, I don't know if I should be telling you this. She looked at her son, saw his attention was diverted and shrugged. Maybe giving him me nightmares was okay if it meant spilling local gossip, but I don't think she wanted to deal with Jamie screaming in the night. Look, first of all, you need to understand that this is a very, very safe neighborhood. And what happened, my gosh, was a total anomaly. You know what that means? I nodded. I had no idea. Right. Well, there's no sugarcoating in it. One night, there was a break-in. A burglary, you know? An intruder? The word intruder conjured up an image that raised the hairs on the back of my neck. The image of the man in the corner of the treehouse, breathing heavy,
3: covered in blood and sweaty, holding his torn guts. I set down my pizza. but met her eyes, willing her to continue.
1: I needed to know. I'm sorry to say, but the man, this intruder, he, okay, he killed the people in that house. But remember, she added hurriedly, this was many years ago. We had just moved in, hardly knew, so hadn't even met the woman. Woman? I asked, intrigued, despite the crawling dread in my stomach. Yes, honey, a woman and her little girl. She leaned closer to me, as if we were in public, and she didn't want to be overheard. As if saying
3: something quietly makes it less true, less horrible. They've been strangled. I tried to swallow, but I couldn't do it. I noticed my hand was trembling and tucked it into my lap beneath the table. The little girl, too? She was. Jamie's mom nodded. Horrible, she said. And it was. Where did they die? I asked, realizing I'd unconsciously matched her strained whisper. Jamie,
1: meanwhile, had stopped playing with his phone and was staring at his mom as if she was telling me about the end of the world, letting me in on a hot tip that it was coming in just a few days. He looked plenty scared. I hope his mother wouldn't notice. Not yet.
3: She looked away, as if debating whether to answer me. I pressed the issue. Did the little girl die in the treehouse? Her head jerked back to me, her eyes shining
1: with what I could only describe as anger. Like I'd insulted her cooking or her looks or
3: her kid. She was angry, but I think she was also afraid. Yeah, looking back on it, I'm almost sure of it. How? Then she shook her head, her face
1: reddening. I knew it was all the information I was going to get, but it was enough.
3: More than enough. Dinner's over, she said, then just stood up and left the room. At least now I knew for
1: sure what happened back then and why the ghost of the little girl was trapped in
3: that treehouse, reliving the same night over and over with me as her sole audience. Later that night,
1: I convinced Jamie to let me use his computer, and together we looked up stuff on ghosts and haunting spirits. It was actually Jamie who found the information that proved most useful buried deep within a website devoted to hauntings around the world. I had never told him what happened to me or what I'd seen. I think part of him knew somehow, had pieced it together from my questions and our following information dive for hauntings, but he never asked. I don't think he really wanted to know what I'd experienced. I didn't blame him. It says here that some ghosts are forced to relive their deaths over and over again for eternity, he said, reading off the screen. Like an old film, replaying a traumatic event from the past. Let me see, I said and read the passage he was referring to. There was a bold section beneath that read psychic imprint. I scanned the paragraph below it quickly, getting excited. It made perfect sense and fell into line with what I'd seen. Unlike many of the other described hauntings, my ghost wasn't interacting with me. It was just doing whatever it had been doing that night. So why was I seeing the bleeding man? Was that part of some sort of show the little girl was putting on for
3: me? Let me see for myself what had happened. To see if I could do anything about it. I wonder if there's a way
1: to help them. I said, scrolling further down the page, desperate for answers. If there's some way to, I don't know, release them. Jamie spun off his chair and flopped down onto the bed. He gripped a pillow to his chest and faced the wall. I don't know, dude, but I don't want to talk about this shit anymore. It's stupid. by stupid, he, of course, meant scary. And it was. But I felt like I was finally getting somewhere. I wanted to help that little girl. Free her. But how? Well, Jamie had his back turned. I googled one more thing before shutting the topic down for the night. I typed my street address,
3: city, and state. Then I typed the word murder. I got multiple hits. One was a local news
1: page that had a two-paragraph article and a photo of a woman hugging a small girl. I recognized her instantly. My skin tingled unpleasantly as if I'd been lightly touched by someone I couldn't see who was suddenly covered in baby spiders. Scrolling down, I passed a few links that had nothing to do with my house at all. Then I saw a link to the city's homicide department website. I clicked it and brought up the same incident the news article had but it was more technical, like a crime report. They were asking people to come forward who had information on the murders of the woman and her daughter. There was a form you could fill out to respond. The page was old,
3: dated almost four years ago, but it was still active. They hadn't taken it down. They were still looking for information. They were still hunting the killer. Part four salt, and candles. The rest of the fall was pretty tame.
1: I dug around a bit more here and there, but I didn't learn anything more about the murders that I already knew. School was fine, the usual. I was making more friends and even joined a drama club, which made my mom happy. I never spoke to Jamie's mom about the murders, or much of anything else, again. The next few times I saw her, she acted really different, like I'd tricked her or something. I asked Jamie about it once, and he mumbled something about nightmares. He never invited me over for another sleepover. We don't hang out much anymore. I still visit the treehouse, but not very often. It's getting colder now, and if I'm out there for more than an hour, my hands get icy and my nose runs. I have seen the little girl a few more
3: times, though, and even saw the bleeding man again. Only once. Like the first time, it was at night. I
1: hadn't meant to be there after the sun went down, but I had fallen asleep while reading a book.
3: It was his voice that woke me up. Don't be scared. This time, I didn't stay for the end. I didn't want to see
1: him crawling across the floor again, watch him pull the little girl into that deadly embrace. The only thing I heard him say as I was scrambling for the ladder, groggy and terrified, was the same thing that he'd said that first time.
3: Do you live here?
1: By the time the girl started to respond, I was already three rungs down the rope ladder, heading for the warmth and safety of my bedroom. Still, as weeks passed, I couldn't let go of the idea that I could somehow free the little girl, let her eternal spirit rest or whatever, go to heaven. I spent a lot of time on the internet looking for more information about ghosts, especially those trapped like mine was. It was hard to find stuff that was helpful because there was like Tons and tons of stories and supposed facts about ghosts that had nothing to do with what was happening in the treehouse. She was a very specific haunting. There was, however, some information about getting rid of ghosts, like things you could do to free them into the spirit realm, which was interesting. But even that came with its own series of problems. For instance, burn sage. What the hell is sage? And how do I burn it? I considered asking my mom, but like I said, she was already thinking I was getting too weird. And plus, I didn't want to have to answer a bunch of questions. Another option, one that was much easier, was salt. Salt, I knew. Apparently, if you put salt on the floor or across a doorway, it keeps the ghosts out. I'm not sure if it would work because the ghosts were already in. But I swiped a salt container, the one that my mom uses to fill the little ceramic shaker that we keep on the table from the pantry and hid it in my room. Figured it couldn't hurt. Another idea for banning spirits was to burn white candles. Okay, I thought. This was also something I could handle. I knew we had a stash of emergency candles in the laundry room, along with a wind-up flashlight, bottled water, and some first-aid stuff. The candles were white and heavy, plenty big. I took three. So I had my salt and my candles. I was feeling pretty good about things. There was only one snag. I wanted to do the salt and candles when I knew the bleeding man would be there. I pretty much decided that he wasn't really a ghost, ghost, but a sort of part of the little girl. Like she was showing him to me, using her own spirit
3: energy, I guess. I don't know what makes me think that, but there's one obvious fact. If he killed the girl, and then her mom... It would mean that he probably didn't die in the treehouse. Unless he
1: killed the mom first, of course. And maybe that's why he was bleeding. Maybe she'd stabbed him or something, defended herself. Or maybe he'd already been bleeding. I thought of a hundred reasons why, but the ones I went back to again and again were these. He had robbed a bank, and the police had shot him while escaping. There was a drug deal, and the drug dealer shot him or stabbed him when he wouldn't pay he'd been bitten by someone's dog when he tried to rob their house and had gone into the treehouse to hide not
3: knowing the little girl would be there or did the girl come in after he arrived maybe he was the one who was surprised maybe he knew the little girl maybe he was the mom's boyfriend he definitely would have been a suspect though there's
1: no way he could have escaped if he was someone they knew so A stranger, or as Jamie's mom put it, an intruder. Whoever he was, I wanted him gone, along with the spirit of the little girl. And since he only appeared at least so far when it was dark, I figured I'd have to go out there at
3: night again. The only thing that sort of confuses me is something my mom said a few days ago. I was on the phone
1: earlier with the realtor. He would called to check in. She said one night while the two of us were watching a movie, and I could tell she was trying to be all cool about it, but she was obviously nervous. You know, the guy who sold us the house?
3: "Uh Uh-huh, I mumbled, my eyes on the screen. If she could pretend, so could I.
1: It's just, well, I don't want you to be mad at me, but I mentioned that you'd been having nightmares about a little girl and a man. She said this like a question I was supposed to answer. Or at least reply to but i kept my eyes forward i didn't want her to see my face she went on anyway he stopped talking for a moment i thought we'd lost the connection at first anyway he said something kind of strange okay now she'd got me i turned to look at her sitting at the opposite end of the couch but now she was the one looking away pretending to watch the movie
3: what did he say She was quiet a moment, and then she finally answered. It was more like she was talking to herself. He said, Tell him to sleep in the treehouse. The fresh air will do him some good. I swallowed hard, ignoring the chill that ran up my back at the very thought of such a horrible idea. Why is that strange? My mom turned to me then, her face half-lit by the light of the television. Her eyes were wide and worried. Because when we'd bought the place, he'd said the exact opposite. I don't get it, I said.
1: At the time, he told me you should probably stay away from the treehouse.
3: He said, and I remember this clearly, that it wasn't safe. Which brings my story up to date. As I type
1: this, I'm readying myself for what I need to do next. And I've already figured out when I'm going to do it. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll go out there after the sun sets, when it's dark, and I'll finish it. After all, it's just a ghost and her memories.
3: There's nothing out there that can actually hurt me. Scare me for sure, but not actually hurt me. Right? Part 5. The last night. 7 36 p.m. Okay, tonight is the night.
1: I'm going to time code this entry. If it works, it might be something to keep the details of, like a science experiment. So I've got three of the heavy white candles in my backpack, plus the container of salt I swipe from the pantry. I'm writing this on the laptop on my desk. If I look up, I'm staring straight through a big window that faces the backyard, the giant oak tree, and the treehouse. The sun is about to go down. Mom and I just had dinner together, and she seemed weird, like distracted. I made sure not to do or say anything that would worry her, but she was worried anyway. "'How are you doing?' she'd asked, sitting down across from me as I ate, watching me. "'Fine,' I'd said, maybe a bit too enthusiastically. I dipped my grilled cheese into the hot tomato soup, took a big bite, and smiled at her. "'Why?' She tried to smile back, but it didn't really work. I could tell she was bothered and nervous, like she wanted to ask me something. I think you've lost weight, she said, which, to be fair, is probably true. I haven't been eating well, and being honest, I haven't been sleeping too well either, not since the first time I was in the treehouse that night when I'd fallen asleep and woken to the bleeding man talking to the little girl, her timid, frightened responses as I ran away. Plus, These last weeks, I've been focused on my plan, on releasing the girl so she could move on, stop reliving her terrible death. I guess for a kid my age, maybe it's a lot to take in, a lot to accept, and maybe it's making me anxious. I had nightmares almost every night, and lately, I've noticed my hands shaking for no reason, or the repeated tug of a weird twitch on my left temple. My grades have been slipping, and I haven't been hanging out with my friends much. Okay, at all. It's like all I can think about lately is the treehouse. About the restless spirit that lives there. Her stifled screams. Her terror. I'm fine. I said, repeating myself. I'll try to eat more. Thankfully, Mom let it go. I forced down the rest of the soup, hoping it would make her relax. But the truth was, I couldn't wait to get away from the table to put my plan into action. And now at my desk writing all this down so that well i guess so that if something goes wrong i want people to know what i've been dealing with what i've experienced i'd be lying if i said i wasn't scared but i tried to remind myself that there's nothing to be afraid of her ghost has never so much as looked at me all she does is play dolls and hum that crazy weird tune and the bleeding man like i've said is just an extension of her i'm sure of it her way of showing me what happened, of what she has to live through again and again and again. But tonight, very soon that ends. I just need to wait for the sun to finish going down until it's full dark. Then I'll go out there, up the ladder, and into the treehouse. I'll exercise her, drive her away so she can be at peace.
3: I know I can do this. I just know it. 8.15 p.m. The sun's down now.
1: Nothing out there but a dark red horizon. From my window, the treehouse is nothing but a giant shadow amid the blowing leaves and creaking branches of the big oak tree.
3: It's time to go. Wish me luck. 8.33 p.m. Shit. Shit, 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 motherfucking shit. I screwed up.
1: I screwed up big time. I got it all wrong. I got it all wrong. Back here at my desk, but I don't have much time. Hold on. Okay. I just looked out my window. All the lights in my room are turned off. So I can see the
3: tree house pretty good. No one came down the ladder. No one followed me. Oh my God, I really messed up. But I think it's safe. I think. I need to put down what happened. I need to tell you guys. Someone
1: needs to know. Okay. Like twenty minutes ago, I grabbed my backpack and went out the backyard. I had my phone, a box of matches, the candles and the salt, all of it in my backpack. The electric lantern was already up there, but I wasn't too worried about that. My plan was to light the candles, put the salt fucking everywhere, especially on the floor where the girl always sits, and at the corner where the bleeding man usually appears. There's hardly any moon tonight, and when you're under the tree looking up at the floor of the treehouse, at that black square at the top of the ladder It's so dark you can hardly see anything at all, but I didn't want to risk a light in case my mom happened to look out the window and notice me. I didn't want her to worry. It was windy, a cold wind that reminded me of Halloween, the beginning of winter. The tree was making a lot of noise, more than normal creaking and swaying, the rope ladder swinging in the breeze, the wood handles tied to the rope were cold to the touch, but I grabbed on and started climbing up toward that black square. I pulled myself inside and immediately felt a little better. The walls did a good job of blocking the wind, and even with the windows, it wasn't too cold in there. I crawled all but blind toward my sleeping bag in the corner. I couldn't see a damn thing. It was literally pitch black, but that was okay. I knew what I had to do and had been in there enough to know my way around, even in the dark. I slung off my backpack and sat down on the sleeping bag, my back tucked into the corner, hands up the pack, and pulled out three candles, the box of wood matches, and a cylinder of salt. I took a couple of deep breaths. I was confident
3: that this would all fix things. I wasn't scared. Not yet. I set one of the candles on the floor in front of me, figuring
1: I'd light one and then spread the others around, wait until the little girl appeared if she wasn't already there, sitting in the dark and playing with her dolls, and then spread the salt everywhere. I hoped that the salt wouldn't hurt her like garlic on vampires or something. The image of her smoking and screaming was an awful thing to think about. So I shoved it away. It wouldn't be like that. This would work. I slid open the box of matches and pulled one out. I was just
3: getting ready to strike it when I heard the bleeding man speak. Don't be scared. I froze. The hand... Holding the match, even though I couldn't see it, couldn't see anything, started shaking. My teeth began to chatter, so I clenched my jaw hard. His voice came from that near corner, the way it always did. I decided to ignore him. I would finish this. Willing my hand to steady, I struck the match against the side of the box.
1: It flared. I quickly turned my head to the left. I wanted to see him but the match fizzled and
3: went out almost immediately. Here's what I saw. The shadow of a man. A flash of white teeth. Like he was smiling. Do you live here? He said. I knew this dialogue by heart now, and I refused to let it frighten me to hear it again. I dropped the spent match, cursing under my breath, and pulled another. I started to strike it against the side of the box and then stopped. My hand hovered in midair. My breath was trapped inside my chest and I felt a burning in my throat. I was like a statue there in the dark, frozen in time. Because right then, I realized something. I realized something was wrong. Something was missing. The humming. The little girl wasn't humming.
1: I didn't hear the strange tune that she'd made, that she always made when playing in the
3: treehouse. I stared at what I'd begun to think of as her side of the treehouse, and I was right. There was no humming sound. Just the dark. But that wasn't all. There had been no reply. She hadn't answered the man's questions like she always did. She hadn't said anything at all. Because the little girl wasn't there. He was speaking to me. I threw the candles
1: as hard as I could toward the sound of his voice and scrambled for the opening. I heard a grunt, but not the sound of the candle hitting the wall because it hit something else. Something made out of flesh and blood. I threw my legs over the hole and dropped, not even thinking about the ladder. I landed ten feet later and my legs buckled. I slammed down onto my side against the hard, cold ground. My breath shot out of me and my ankle hurt bad, but I didn't care. All I cared about was the black square above me, about the thick shadow putting a foot at the top rung of the ladder. I got to my feet and sprinted for the house. I threw open the sliding door and ran straight for my bedroom. I slammed the door shut and turned the little lock on the handle. Only a few seconds passed while I ran from the door to the window, and the lights of my bedroom were still turned off. I looked through the window into the backyard of the treehouse. I waited to see a shadow moving across the yard, or to see someone
3: staring back at me through the glass, eyes wide and feverish and angry. Murderous. But I didn't see anyone. Just the empty backyard, filled with shadows. After a few minutes, I started to calm down. I sat in my chair and wiggled the mouse. The laptop came on, way too bright, and I dimmed it as low as it would go. I've been writing this ever since. And so far, nothing has happened. Nothing. Wait, there is something out there. Inside the treehouse, in one of the small windows, the one facing my room, I can see a face, a small pale face, It's a little girl. She's never done
1: this. She's never acknowledged me in any way. Never once spoken to me or even glanced
3: at me when I tried talking to her, but now she is. She's looking straight at me. Oh, fuck. She's talking from the window. She's yelling something. I can't hear. She's, she's screaming. She's screaming at me. Why now? What's different? What's changed? Oh, God. I just heard a loud thump from the hallway. Someone's inside the house. Heavy footsteps. A door opening. My mom is talking to someone. She's angry. Who is she talking to? I have to go. I'm sorry I have to see if it's the man I have to see if he's bleeding
2: That was Philip Fracassi's. I think my treehouse is haunted. As read by Drew Mallory. Drew Mallory is a research psychologist and interventionist who works on issues that affect vulnerable populations. When not narrating or voice acting, he authors his own dark fiction. Drew recently relocated to Thailand, where he continues to work on sustainability issues. And like every good psychologist is still accompanied by his pet rats. Thank you, Drew. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you're not a supporter already, head over to patreon.com slash tales where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content, to shoutouts and merch packs. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review you'll not only put a smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales. You can share your love of the show out in the world, too, with some Tales to Terrify merch. Tales to terrifycom slash merch will shoot you over to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy, custom, and curated designs that's always growing. So check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini. With original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we dive deep into mystery with more Tales to Terrify.